later service, but uh, I, I just wanted to take a moment before we get going today and welcome all of our guests. Triumph, why don't we give our guests a welcome today? And hey, if you're watching online, so glad you're, you've chosen to be part of us. You know, you guys in here may not realize that we have people watching from all over the country every week that tune in to watch us. Thank you for being a part of Triumph. Uh, we, we, we love having you with us. I pray that God touches your life today, that he speaks to you, that you feel him, that you experience him, and uh, that you know at the end of the day today that God has better for you. Because uh, I, you know, I, I, and, and this, I don't want to dive too much into my message just yet, but man, I just believe that God is concerned about our lives and he has better for all of us. Wherever you are, God has better and he's concerned about your life. Uh, let me mention a couple of things to you really quickly. Um, uh, first of all, our, our Epic Alive, our junior high ministry, 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th grade, is, uh, can be dismissed at this time. If you're at that age bracket, we have a great ministry plan just for you. They'll meet you at the bottom of the stairs right in the cafe. Um, next week, next week, man, um, we're going to be concluding our series called Better, but I won't be here. Oh, there we go. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> man, <laughs> golly, uh, uh, our bishop is going to be here next week uh, to conclude our series, um, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that, and uh, one of the reasons for that is I'll actually be here, but I won't be preaching, uh, because I'll be getting ready for our series in November called At the Movies. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. At the Movies is where we take uh, movies and utilize them as modern-day parables to teach us something about the kingdom of God and what he wants to do in our life. We did this last year, had a huge success. We're doing it at all four campuses this year. Uh, and, and so I'll be recording and, and working on all that for all of our campuses. So uh, allow me to have uh, one week off, if you would, from, from preaching so I can get ready. It's a lot of work, but man... It's going to be so good. If you didn't get an invite card the last couple of weeks, uh, you should be able to pick some of those up, our, our ushers or at the connection uh, desk after the service to tell you the movies that we're doing. Go invite somebody to come and be with us. Uh, the first four Sundays in the month of November, it's going to be a blast. And uh, it's a, man, I'm just looking forward to it. Everybody say at the movies. Okay. All right. Last week, um, last week we asked this question or two weeks ago, excuse me, when I was with you, we asked this question, is a better life possible, possible for me? Is better possible, and if so, how do I reach it? Is better possible? Can I attain it? Can I reach it? And I just believe that, that better is available to all of us. I'm just crazy enough to believe that when Jesus said in John 10 and 10, that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that he meant that. In the Message Bible, it says it like this, and I'm just, I can't get this verse out of my mind. He said, I have come that you would have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I don't, I don't know if, if when, I, when I read this, I think, okay, well, there's some people in the room that have not reached their own dreams. You're not living in the life you dreamed of. It doesn't look like you dreamed it up yet. God said, don't worry about that. I have better for them. Others of you say, you know what? I've done well in my life. And I've, I've got everything I've dreamed of. My own house, a good job, two kids, a beautiful wife. 
uh, and, and, and life is good. And to you, Jesus said, I came that you would have a better life even than the one you're living, even than the life you dreamed of. God has better in store for us. I love this song uh, that, that we were singing just a few moments ago because I think it really reflects the heart of the Father for us. When he says, uh, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. You could help me out. <laughs> One week of vacation, and I can't even trust you. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Do, do you believe that about God? Do you believe that about Him? Do you believe that He's a good Father? People are searching far and wide for all the answers, but I love what the song says. But I know that you're the only one with the answers. And you tell me that it's who I am and that I'm never alone. You're good, good father. Because sometimes we just got to remind ourselves it's who you are. Just allow that to get into our spirit, who he is and who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's a love so undeniable. I hardly speak and the peace so father and he cares about your life just as any good father would he, he cares about the sparrows and he and he knows the number of hairs on your head and he cares about your life and he has good things in store for you I, I want you when we leave today to know deep with inside you despite what you may have gone through in your life despite the mistakes you might have made despite the wrong turns despite the struggles despite the addiction despite the problems despite the shortcomings he's a good good father and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you right where you are and he loves you enough that he has better for you I better get started preaching today. 
I better get started preaching. Uh, Did you know just sometimes God stops us and and the Holy Spirit just ministers to our soul. He just just gets things in us, gets things in us. I I want you to grab your Bibles really quickly. I want to read several verses today, and then we're going to to launch uh, into what God would have us. I want to continue in this theme better. God has a better life for you. Matthew chapter 25, and just stay with me because I'm going to read several verses, but um, we're going to go ahead and read this parable, uh, and then we'll come back to it throughout the sermon. This will be our text for today, Matthew 25. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you, team. Verse 14, if you're there, say amen. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He doubled his talents. Watch what the master says to him. Uh, So he, he also who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Then I love this. Enter into the joy of your master. you got to know something. Our master has a joy that we can step into. We don't have to be sad and down every day. But our master has a joy that he is inviting us into. Next verse. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him as well, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, and gather, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Father, I, I welcome you to this place. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your love. I thank you for, uh, for sending your son to bring to us a better life, a better life than we ever dreamed of. 
God, open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus and the people said, amen, amen. I love this story. It's a story of a master who's going away and he calls five of his servants to, uh, three of his servants to them, and he gives them each a different number of talents according to their own ability. You know, when I was younger, I used to think that um, God gave to all of us the same. And I, and I, and I used to think that, well, if, if a person was really good in one area of their life, it must mean that they were really deficient in another area. And if, one, and if this person was deficient in one area, he must be really good in another area. And then I realized that that's not the case at all. But each of us have our own abilities, our, our own, uh, the way that God made us. But the good thing about this is that God doesn't judge us uh, on uh, whether or not we're as good as the person next to us. He judges us on what we do with the talents he's given us. So it's not about, well, you know, I'm just not as intelligent as the person uh, next, next sitting down the road from me. Or, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just, I just can't do it as well as they can. That's not the point. The point is, what do you do with what God has given you? That's what he's looking at. He cares about, what well, I gave you talents. Every person in this room has talents. And we're going to talk about what some of those are. But he gave you talents, and he said, go and do something with them. He didn't expect the guy with talents to come back and bring him five more. But he came back and brought him two, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't get as far as the other guy got in his life. But yet, he did something with what God had given him. And the master said, well done. You've been faithful over little. I'll make you faithful. I'll, I'll make you ruler over much. And then he said, enter into the joy of the master. And this is what God uh, has for us. He says, he says, man, I've given you things in your life. I've given you talents. What will you do with what I've given you? When he comes back and steps into your life and he says, okay, show me what you've done. Which servant will you be? Will you be the servant who's doubled what he gave you, who's grown it, who's, who's managed it well, who's stewarded it well? Or will you be the servant who said, man, I protected it, I hid it in the ground, but I'm bringing it back to you exactly like I left it. This is not the way of God. As you study scripture from beginning to end, especially the New Testament, you find them challenging us to grow Grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of God, grow in wisdom. He challenges us to grow, to take what God has given us and do something more with it. God doesn't want to find you the same as you were when he put you on this earth. You see, for us, to be, th th this, is a, this is a parable and, and it has a number of different meanings. First of all, it's talking about the kingdom of God and our role in it. Uh, you, the next thing that Jesus talks about is he said, so when the, when the uh, Son of God returns, he's going to divide the sheep and the goats. He's talking about on the final day when he says, Christians, 
followers of Jesus, you're over here, and the rest of the world, you're over there. He's talking about salvation. What are we doing with the salvation he gave us? And are we uh, ministering to others? Are we reaching out? Are, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we gathering or are we just holding on to the salvation he has for us? So that's the first level. But then we go deeper and we see clearly here that this is a parable about how God functions in his kingdom. It is a parable of stewardship. And here's what I believe. In the kingdom of God, better requires stewardship. If I want to reach the better life that God has for me, I have to be a good steward of, of the life he's already given me. What did they do with, with the talents that the master had left them? You know, the first thing I have to understand is that everything I have belongs to the Lord. This was not the servant's talent. If you're reading other versions, it might say bags of gold, or it might even give dollar amounts. One version gives $5,000, $2,000, and $1,000. Whatever your version says, it, it didn't belong to them. It belonged to the master, but he entrusted them with it. This is stewardship. Everything I have belongs to the Lord, but he has entrusted me with it on this earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything I have uh, belongs to the Lord. Secondly, I have to know that everything I have comes from him it all came from him it's not just that i went out and got it and then gave it to the lord everything i have came from him romans eleven thirty six. for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory all glory to him forever i don't own anything i don't own anything i'm simply a steward or a manager of god's stuff all I'm doing is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. This, this is what I'm doing with the talents that he's given me. I'm managing God's blessing, God's way for God's glory. When we get this confused, we get in trouble in the kingdom of God. When we think we're managing God's blessing, our way for God's glory, it causes problems. Or when we think we're managing our blessings God's way for God's glory, we get in trouble. Or we, when we think we're managing God's blessing God's ways, but for our glory, we get in trouble. All we're doing is managing God's blessing God's way for God's glory. Two guys steward very well. The third does not. Two guys manage the master's talents well. The third does not. Here's what I want you to understand. Whatever you don't steward, you cannot expect success in. Whatever you don't steward in your life, you cannot expect success. My father has about 80 acres out in LaBelle. Things grow there. But I cannot expect um, a, a, a field full of wheat to grow. Because I'm not planting it and cultivating it and stewarding it. Stuff grows, but I can't expect success. In every area of your life, whatever you don't steward, you cannot expect success in. Whatever you don't manage, whatever you don't steward. The third guy, he didn't lose the master's talent. He simply didn't make any effort to steward them. If we want to see better in our lives, we must be better stewards. I love, I love what he says, so take from him and give to who has the ten talents. Man, so God's going to take from me 
and give it to the guy who already has a bunch. He already has ten. He doesn't need my one more. But this is the way God functions because uh, he wants us to be good stewards. And God, is, God cares about his stuff. Yes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but he cares about his stuff. And he wants it to be stewarded well. So if I don't steward, if we are bad stewards, we may lose what we have to better stewards. We've been blaming the devil all this time. He stole my stuff. No, we were just bad stewards. And God said, I'm going to have to take from you and give it to a better steward. When you learn to steward, I'll, I'll bring you some more. i got plenty. I'll give it back to you. But until you learn to steward what you have, God said, I'm just going to have to take that and give it to somebody who is a better steward, who better, who's already proven to be doing what I've called them to do and asked them to do. Are there areas in your life that you have lost stuff, blame the devil, but if you are really being honest through the power of the Holy Spirit right now, touching your heart, you'd say, you know what? I lost it because I just didn't steward well. I think, I think at times we just got to quit blaming the devil and accept responsibility ourselves and say, but you know, here's the good thing. When we accept responsibility, we then say, you know what? If I was a bad steward, I can learn to be a good steward. I can learn to be a good steward. I can go at it about it differently. I can do things differently. I can grow in this area. I can grow in that area. I, I am convinced that if we want the better life that Jesus promised, we must be better stewards in every area of our lives. I want to talk to you about three of them today. I could take a whole sermon and talk about each one of these. I'm just going to give you some high points, and I want to challenge you. If there are other areas of your life that need to be stewarded, uh, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in those ways as well. I just can't get to them all. The first area is this. Better requires stewarding your time. He requires stewarding, better requires stewarding your time. I love what he says in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once. Man, he didn't hesitate. He didn't stop and think about it. He didn't go have a party and, and go, man, look how much the, the master trusts me and, and show off to everybody. He went at once and started trading with him because he uh, the, the Living Bible says he went immediately. There was no wasted time for this guy. Let me ask you a question. How are you stewarding your time? Interesting verse in Proverbs chapter uh, 24, verse 30. Proverbs 24 and 30. Watch this. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the, uh, a lazy person, by the, van, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. You know anybody in your life that just lacks sense? Don't be looking around. <laughs> and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. What is he saying? I saw this picture, and I stepped back for a moment, and suddenly I learned something. Here's what he learned. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's read from the Message Bible, that last verse. A nap here, a nap there. A day off here, a day off there. Sit back and take it easy. And do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. 
have to do that today. I can wait for it till tomorrow. Let's take a little nap. Let's take a little nap. Now listen, I'm not talking about your Sunday afternoon nap. Okay? That's holy. That's the Lord is called holy. He's, he, just said, he said, that that nap is set apart. I'm gonna minister to your soul. <laughs> but it's a way of going life. He's he's describing people who go about life just just Oh, it's okay. I'll get to it whenever it happens. All oh, this, all oh, that. Just, oh, I'm, I'm just going to relax a little while. Oh, I'm just going to do this for a little while. I'll get to it eventually. Do you understand the, the kind of a way of going about life, a way of spending your time? How are you stewarding your time? If you steward your time well, God will bless it. If you steward your time poorly, you will look up and you will have lost it. How are you stewarding your time? Are you stewarding your time at work? Do, do you give an honest day's labor for an honest day's wages? I'm not talking about what the boss says about you. I'm talking about what you know in your heart. Bad stewardship of your time could be the reason you're in the shape that you're in. How are you stewarding your time? Here's the thing I have to understand. If it all comes from God, right? So if my time belongs from God... It belongs to God, and it all comes from Him. How does He want me to spend my time? It's a very important question. I'm going to give you five ways really quickly. Number one, give the first of your time to God. What does God want from you? He wants you to strategically give the first of your time to God. Because if you just put God on the list but not at the front of the list, you'll look up and it will have been a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month since you actually gave God any time. Because stuff gets in the way. A nap here, a nap there, and the next thing you know, you haven't given God the first of your time. I challenge you to get up every morning. If you can only spend 20 minutes with Him, spend 20 minutes with God and, and build a relationship with Him. Spend time with God. Number two, you know what we ought to do? We ought to spend time thinking. I'm not, I'm not talking about letting other people put ideas in your mind. I'm just talking about, you know, the Bible teaches that we have the mind of Christ. Maybe we should spend time thinking. Maybe if we were to spend time thinking, God would allow us to activate the gift of wisdom that He promised through the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You might come up with a solution. You've been asking everybody you could, and God's saying, if you'll just spend a few minutes thinking, I'll give you the answer. You're smarter than you think you are. Get a plan. Get a strategy. Think. Number three, spend time reading. Spend time reading. Spend time reading. Reading the Bible reading books, reading things that engage your imagination, reading, reading things that engage your vision. Um, have you ever heard of people say that they read the book and then they watch the movie and the movie's never as good as the book? Right? Because our imaginations, God gave them to us and they are, they are creative and they are good and they are powerful, but, you know, use it. Read something. When, read something and let God work through you. Spend time reading. Be a learner. Right? Number four, be in the moment. It's just my opinion that it is a bad stewardship of time. Of when, when I'm supposed to be uh, looking my wife in the eyes and having a date with her, that the whole time I'm on my phone doing work. Or, if I'm supposed to be in church worshiping God, what I'm really doing is I'm still in the car having an argument with my wife. Or, if I'm supposed to be pouring everything I have into my job, 
which, by the way, I, I, the Bible teaches us that where he's called us to work is a calling. And your calling, where God has placed you, is as important as where God has placed me. And so if I'm giving everything I have to my business, but yet the whole time my mind is off somewhere else, I'm not being a good steward of my time. Be in the moment. Be in the moment. When it's time to go on vacation, be on vacation. When it's time to work, work. When it's time to pray, pray. When it's time to worship, worship. When it's time to be with your family, be with your family. Be in the moment. Number five, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Listen, God put it in his top ten. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Set apart. Make room for the Sabbath in your life. It's a day of rest, okay? It's a day of connecting with God, and it's a day of rest, right? And God said, keep it holy. It's that, it is so important. He put it above adultery and murder and stealing and lying. Go back and read it, Exodus chapter 20. He put it above those. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You need time to rest. If your body... Your body, when God designed you, was designed to need rest. And if your body doesn't get the rest it requires, it will demand it of you. It'll shut down. Sickness, exhaustion, you'll lose your mind. Why? Because your body is required to have rest. I know I'm talking real practical with you right now, but we're going somewhere. Can I, can, y'all with me Okay. All right. Better requires stewarding your time. You ever said, man, I just I wish I had more time? Maybe you don't need more. Maybe you just need to be a better steward. Number two, uh, better requires stewarding your money. Better requires stewarding your money. Uh, in, in other, in, in, you can go back to this translation, as I said a moment ago. In other translations, in, in this parable... He doesn't use the term talents. He uses bags of gold. He says $1,000 or $2,000 or $5,000. You know, as Americans, we are not good stewards of our money. We have more than we've ever had, and yet we're in more debt than we've ever been. Here's a statistic. I, I was with a guy from uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, network, uh, one of his top guys this week. Here's what he said. He said 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 70%. Can I ask you to help me with something really quick? Okay. I want everybody except for the first, uh, let's say, uh, three rows over here. Everybody else stand up. Can you do I know I'm just, ah, the pastor's asking me. To, listen, if we were in Catholic church, you'd have done this about 87 times. <laughs> so look around. Hey, whoa. We're living paycheck to paycheck, right? You say, well, Pastor Randon, your math is bad. That's not 70%. You're right. Because another 18% live below paycheck to paycheck. That means 88% of Americans live at paycheck to paycheck, can't miss one paycheck, or below that. That's a startling number. You can sit down. Thank you. Hey, you guys give them a hand. This is, this, this, we are not good stewards in our country. As a whole, we're just not good stewards. 88% of 
Only 12% are doing it right. It's no wonder that, that, that depression is on the rise and, and divorce is on the rise. We're, we're worried about money all the time. The Bible teaches that the blessings, uh, that the blessings of the Lord make one rich, but add no sorrow with it. Let me ask you a question. As rich as you may be in your life, do you feel sorrow? Do you feel stressed out over paying your bills? Do you, do you feel like, do you, have you fought with your spouse in the last month over money about spending this or not spending that? Do you, do you feel the worry that comes with being in debt? Just nod your head at me if you know what I'm talking about. That is not how God wants you to live your life. He said his blessings make one rich, but they add no sorrow with it. We, we got to be better stewards of our money. So here's my question. If, if God, if, if I'm believing now that, uh, that it's God's money, I should ask this question. How would God spend the money that he has trusted me with? What would he do with it? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here's some, a couple of quick principles. Uh, first off, he would be a tither. The Bible is clear on this. The first step of good stewardship, according to the word of God, is being a tither. When you get it through our minds that it's all his and it all comes from him, it's easy for me to be a tither. It's not mine in the first place. It's his. I'm just returning it to him. He said, I'm going to give you all this. I just need 10% back. And I say, yes, Lord. First thing is he would be a tither. Number two, if it were God, he would sow and reap. Everything in the kingdom of God, everything in our world functions on the principle of sowing and reaping. So God understands sowing and reaping. And he would spend his money wisely so that he sowed in the right places that he could reap from the right things. Number three, um, God wouldn't spend more than he was taking in. If you took in $1,000 this week, God wouldn't spend $1,500. Number four, he would invest. I believe God would invest. He would make a plan. The Bible talks a lot about taking care of our future and setting things up so we can give a good inheritance to our kids. He would invest not only in your future, but in their future. He would invest. He would make a plan for the future. And number five, he would be wise with his purchases. He'd be wise with his purchases. Uh, I, I read a list of rules here uh, a while back. Uh, they said, don't buy unless you can answer these five questions. Don't buy unless, number one, you need the item. Number two, uh, you can afford the item. Number three, you have planned to buy it. Number four, uh, the price is at or less than the price you plan to pay. So just because you plan to buy an item... You, you plan for $10, hey, that's not that big of a deal. It turns out to be $110. You say, well, I plan to buy it. Yeah, but not for $110. And number five, make sure that you were not manipulated to buy the item. Uh, five things. You know what else? I'm going to just tell you this last thing that I, I believe Jesus would do. If, if he wanted to improve, I believe he would join a life team. 
I believe, I, would, I believe he would get some counsel on the subject. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and 22, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Right here. But with many advisors, they succeed. If I wanted to be better in steward of my money, I would find a way to get some counsel in my life. We have life teams just for finance, and they'll help you. Um, I, I, want to, I want to be the guy where the master says, you've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. So sometimes I've got to set aside my way, I've got to set aside my ego, I've set, got to set aside my pride, and I might have to go to someone and say, help me. You're doing it right, I'm doing it wrong. I thought my way was working, but my way got me where I am, and I don't like where I am. So let's try something new. Number two, you, got to, you, you must steward your money. Number three, better requires stewarding our relationships. Better requires stewarding our relationships. First off, it starts with your spouse and your family. If you're married in the room, it starts with stewarding your marriage. If your marriage is going bad, maybe you should steward it better. Maybe you should spend some time. Maybe you should get some miracle grow on that thing. After, after God, marriage comes second, family comes third. If you're struggling with your kids, believe me, I get it. I was in youth ministry for over 10 years. Uh, I, I, I get it. Uh, listen, I'm not judging you. I, I'm telling you, more people struggle with their teenagers than don't. You're not alone. But you know what? You, we might ought to go back and say, God, how could I steward my relationship with my teenager better? How could I steward my relationship with my kids better? What can I do better? These relationships are struggling. What can we do to manage them? You know, we might learn our wife's love language and speak that language. She loves uh, quality time. Then figure out what quality time means. Understand that quality time changes from week to week. Understand that men only get... Uh, they're only allowed one love language. Women get three or four, and they can change them as they want to. Just roll with it. Don't get upset about it. Number two, in, engage in the life of your wife, of your husband, of your kids. Engage in their lives. Engage in what they care about. Get involved. Number three, put down the technology and communicate. Phones, iPads televisions, computers, put it down. More problems come up from texting and email than anything else I deal with. Put them down, have a conversation, communicate, connect. The second set of relationships is our friends, our acquaintances, and our business associates. Pastor Scott Jones, uh, who's one of the pastors at Grace Church in Humble, he, he always says this, life moves at the speed of relationships. Moves at the speed of relationships. Meaning, um, good relationships will cause you to go faster and do more. If you have bad relationships, they slow you down and they, they cause you. Have you ever had that person in your life that seems like every time you turn around, you're having to work them through a problem? I'm not talking about when they go through one crisis, but I'm talking about 17 years later. Every time they call, it shuts your day down for about an hour and a half. Life moves at the speed of relationships. My father says this, and I love this statement. He says, every new opportunity comes through relationship. Say, God, I want a new opportunity. I want a, I don't do this. I don't do that. God, a 
okay, no problem. I'm going to send a new relationship in your life, which opens the door to new opportunities. But you know, we don't like when God cuts relationships out of our lives. The Bible says in John 15 that God is our gardener. The gardener comes through and he, and he starts pruning and he starts cutting, but we don't like the cutting. The cutting isn't fun. I, I want to show you this picture right here of, uh, of this tree. And, and uh, if, if they have it ready. And you know, first, a tree, it's full and it's bushy and there are limbs everywhere. But then the gardener comes through and he's cutting 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 away this and he's cutting away that. And you know what? At the end of the day, um, pruning leaves us feeling alone. When God starts cutting relationships out of our life, we had all these relationships, we had all these friends, we had all these going on around us, and God cuts it out, and it can leave us feeling alone. But it's in those moments when God says, draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you. See, see on the left, it's bushy, and there's stuff going on everywhere. On the right, it's thin. You can see through it. You see, the second thing that pruning does is pruning leaves us feeling exposed. People protect, protect us. They, they insulate us, right? That's why, we, that's, that's why we keep people around us lots of times. That's why we vent. Because we got, we got to, hey, we've got to protect. Uh, I need you to help protect me. Don't let that person. You better hold me back. Don't let that person come over here. I'm going to get them. They protect us. But suddenly we've been pruned and those relationships are gone and we feel exposed like anybody can just get to us, like nobody has our back. And God says, just lift up your eyes to the hills from which comes your help. Your help comes from the Lord. And pruning can leave us hurt. Pruning, I don't know if you've ever pruned a tree. I have. It involves sharp shears or chainsaws and cutting things away. It can leave us offended. But offense is a trap. Offense can get a hold of us. It can, it can snare us and pull us down and cause us to be pulled away from the things of God and, and our relationship with God. Offense can pull us away from family. It can leave us bitter and angry. It can mess us up. Here's what I want you to know today. If you're in the room, you say, Pastor Randon, I've, I've lost relationships. And it's left me offended. People left my life. It left me offended. God says forgive. Forgive. Forgiveness is the solution for offense. Forgive, not for them, for you. Because offense gets a hold of your heart. Forgive. And then there are other people in the room. And I just found this out about myself this week. Can I have a moment of vulnerability with you? I'm not an easily offended person, but I realized this week, I'm not offended, I'm not angry, I'm not mad, my life has gone on, all is well, I'm just hurt. I'm not offended, I'm not bitter, I don't harbor ill feelings towards the, the, these people, I'm just hurt. So what do we do? God cuts the limb out of our life, but we don't want it to go. So we grab some duct tape and we stick it back up there and we start trying to tape relationships back on that God has cut out. And he's saying, listen, these are bad for you. If you'll just let them go, I'll send you new relationships and new opportunities and new hope and new joy. But you've got to let go of them. Quit taping up what God has cut out. And if you're hurt, 
He's a healer. He's a healer. He didn't just come to heal cancer in my body. He did. He also came to heal us when we're hurt. And I, and I love this, and I'm, and I'm closing now. Um, the last relationship, as important as any of them, is relationship with the master. The theologians tell us in the, in the, when they read this parable that, that Jesus is clearly implying here that all three of these servants had a relationship with the master. They had enough relationship that they knew him. But how did they know him? The first knew him as a master who would be behind them. And if they would go out and steward his money, they would, that their master would be proud of them. And he would reward them. And he had good thoughts toward them. And he wanted them to be productive. And he wanted them to do something with their life with the talents he had given them. But the third, he said, I, I knew you to be mean. I knew you to be hard. I knew you to be judging. Let me ask you this question. How is your relationship with the Father? When you think about God, do you think about a guy who's always saying no, who's always saying you were wrong, who's always saying stop sinning, who's always saying uh, you're, you're a horrible person? Do you know him as a, as a God who's always looking to judge you in this way or that way? Or do you know him as a good, good father? Do you know him who, as one who says, I have good things for you, a good plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future? Do you know the father that said, I sent my son down to give you a better life than you ever dreamed of? Do you know the father in such a way that he says, I'm so good, I sent my son so that you could have good promises and a better covenant and, and, and better that all comes with salvation? I've heard a thousand stories of what they think alike, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleasing that I'm never you into a relationship with a good father. There are people in this room and you have overlaid your relationship with your father and applied it to how you think a relationship with a good, good father would be. Your natural father, maybe he was mean and horrible, maybe he was a drunk, maybe he beat you and beat your mom and beat your sisters and beat your family. Maybe he was always running around and, and just causing problems and no one wanted to be around him. And he messed you up. And because of that, you're here today and you say, I don't know how to interact with a good father. I want to I I ask you something today. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to heal you of that? And allow me to introduce
introduce you to a good father. He's here. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. He knows you and he loves you. And he came to have me tell you today. He wants to be a good father to you. He wants to be a good father to you. Perfect in all of your ways to us. Would you stand with me? We're going to continue to worship, but I just want to say a prayer over you. Our host is going to come shortly. In a minute, these altars are going to be... Actually, let's just open them right now. If, you, if you've got one of these areas in your life and you say, I'm just struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. Maybe you've got relationships that you're struggling to let go of. I want to open these altars at this moment and allow God to heal you. Come, pray with us. Pastors and elders, come. If you need prayer and ministry in any area of your life and you're hurting, you say, I don't know how to interact with this Father. Come. Let us pray with you just for a moment. We're going to continue to worship. But God loves you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, He loves you. And He sent me here for you today. Say a word, you're a good, good father. Who you are. 